a man named Izumu inherited a fortune and lived a very happy life for many years. But as he began to age, his mind was cursed with the dark thoughts of death. He obsessed over this and wanted to find a way to live forever. Since he was a young boy, he had heard stories of hermits who lived in the mountain and had created an elixir of life. Oh, he wanted this. So he decided to be off in search of the hermits. He climbed the highest mountains, asking everyone he met if they knew where to find the magical hermits. After months of a fruitless search, he happened upon a temple in the mountains. He went inside and prayed for days and nights. Please, please help me find these hermits and the elixir of life. I want to live forever. I don't want to die. On the seventh night of his prayer vigil, the door of the temple opened and in walked the leader, the god of the hermits on the mountain. How do you expect to find the elixir of life, scolded the leader, if you've lived your whole life only to please yourself? Izumud bowed in shame, for he knew this was true. He'd spent every day of his life in his own dealings, without regard to another soul. Only men who are spiritually disciplined can know the elixir of life, he finished. Please, Izumu begged, please tell me what to do. I will follow your guidance. The leader pulled out a delicate paper crane from his robe, giving it to Izumu. This crane will take you to the land where no one dies. Follow its lead, he told Izumu. At first, Izumu stared at the crane with confusion. But then it began to grow and grow. When it had become large enough, Izumu climbed upon its back and they flew away. On they flew, past the clouds and into the setting sun, finally landing on a white sanded beach. He climbed off the crane and spotted a man up ahead. Izumu yelled at him, Hey, where am I? The man smiled. You're in the land of everlasting life. Izumu was thrilled. He found himself. He found himself in the land of everlasting life. And so he looked for a little home and he settled down. But soon he started to notice the most bizarre things happening all around him every day. There were poisonous mushrooms growing everywhere and the people ate them, chewing at them like they were rabid. These people would catch and embrace venomous snakes and they'd bleach their hair out white and grow long beards. Izumu watched this for many weeks before he built up the courage to ask these people, what were they doing? We wish to die. We're tired of living forever. We want to go to a place called paradise. We've heard of its treasures and its beauty. We don't want to keep going on. We're so tired. Izumu couldn't believe what he was hearing, but years passed into decades, and decades passed into centuries, and Izumu lived on and on. One morning he was walking around the same beach where he'd landed, remembering his arrival there many moons ago. And in this moment, he finally understood what his neighbors had wanted. He missed the world that he had once inhabited. He wished he could feel again what it was like to be an ordinary man 
surrounded by ordinary people dreaming of the possibilities of the world. So he reached into his pocket, filling the delicate paper Crane had always carried with him. Please, he whispered, I, I want to go back. I do not want to live forever anymore. I was wrong to think I did. And in that second, the crane grew larger and larger until he could climb up on its back again, and they flew off and back to the land of the living. As they flew, a terrible storm surrounded them, and the crane's paper wings became heavy with the rain and began to crumple and fail. They crashed into the sea. Oh, help me, he splashed about in shock as a shark began to circle him. Please, I don't want to die. In the next moment, he found himself again on the floor of the mountain temple, crying out to be saved and to live forever. The temple door opened and in stepped the divine messenger from the god of the hermits. I am the messenger from the god of the hermits, he said. When you asked to live forever, the God sent you to the land of everlasting life. When you asked for death, he sent a storm and a shark. And once again, you begged for eternal life. I'm sorry to tell you this, but the God of the hermits understands that you have no spiritual strength. It is clear that the secrets of eternity are not for you. Izumu sat silently, absorbing what he'd said. Go home, the messenger said. Learn to be content in your life. I will give you the book of wisdom if you use it as a guide and help those who have been placed around you. And learn to be kind-hearted to strangers. Your fear of death will disappear. And with those words, the messenger vanished. Izumu returned home, carrying the Book of Wisdom. He consulted it every day and worked hard to give back to those who had been placed around him in his life. He grew sensitive and loving towards strangers. He became kind and generous to everyone. Many years passed, and Izumu's day to die had come. And on that day, he was content and at rest, satisfied with all he had done in his world and ready to move on. This is Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. Is there an elixir of life? Any secrets out there in this giant complex world? Maybe, if we know where to look. And do you really want it? Some of the oldest things still alive are plants and bacteria. People have only been known to live around 120 years at the most. Pando. Pando is one of the oldest living organisms. I like to call him a creature. Out west in Fish Lake National Forest, Utah. It looks like a bunch of trees standing on the surface of the ground which we all are, but underneath the ground, it's a giant male-quaking aspen tree that covers 106 acres of land. He's big, he's heavy, and all those trees you see are his stems. Each one dies at around 130 years, and when one of them dies, it triggers him to produce another one. 
He's finally starting to die after about a, a million years. But the, the United States uh, Forest Service is trying to find a way to save this tree right now. And it's funny to call it a tree because it looks like a forest, but that's what it is. And that's the illusion of our limited perception. He's one tree with acres of branches coming off his roots. One male-quaking aspen tree living in Utah. Pendo. They call him the trembling giant. I like that you don't notice it at first, and then if you zone in for a minute and pay attention, you'll see that every branch is identical. Same leaves, same stems, which look like separate tree trunks. It's all one big beast, and it just unveils itself like a magical breathing entity around you. And the only reason he's starting to die now is because, mostly, people are letting their cattle graze on him, along with a ton of deer, and they're eating him alive. He can't reproduce fast enough, and the more they eat, the harder it is for him to survive. They've looked into better fencing systems in some areas, the the forestry service, and it's started to work a little bit. But they probably need to fence in that whole creature if they want him to stick around. Quaking aspens are an aggressive species of aspen tree. They don't need any seeds anymore once their root system is established. They produce root sprouts, and they take over areas where you've got a lot of wildfires. They can fill the land back up because their roots stay alive underground, and after the fires are over, they can sprout right back up again. They call them quaking aspens, Because when the wind blows, the shape of the leaves are such as that they start to flutter, like butterfly wings. They're very beautiful and massive creatures. Most of the oldest living creatures are in the water, though, because that's where life started. Sponges are the oldest known form of animal on the planet. They date back over 600 million years ago, and they're still going. There's a lineage called demosponges that are still living today. Demosponges, as well as a lot of other species of sponge, can reproduce sexually and asexually, too, just like Pando. Now, sponges are the symbols of flexibility because they can live and stick around for so long because they can reorganize themselves, their cellular structure. They can rejuvenate and regenerate themselves. And, of course, once humans know this, we start studying marine sponges for anti-aging purposes. For example, a process called elastase is responsible for the breakdown of collagen in the skin, and a particular marine demo sponge called Scopolina hapalia, it's been able to evolve to counteract the process of elastase, among other aging effects. It can counteract a lot of them. Marine sponges are really, really good at defying age and breakdowns in their body structure. Now, on our end, humans can use their heads to try to counteract some of this aging damage. We've got so much information at our disposal and so much to choose from that we can just pay for and get our hands on. I make my own peptide and vitamin C serum and everything else. We can tailor our diets to keep us healthy longer. We can tailor our lifestyles. So we don't have to sit down and sit back and wait for death and give in to old age 
well before our time. And after studying longevity and crafting my own cosmetics and watching how things normally work out in the wild, if it's not being harassed, I honestly don't believe that we're meant to start aging so fast at, say, 50 years old. I don't think that's normal. I think our society has made it normal. Our skin, for instance, is an organ, and most of us don't bother taking care of it like it's an organ. We as a group have decided that the skin organ is superficial and we shouldn't pay that much attention to it. We decline faster than we need to because we're so afraid of appearing superficial or vain. We're just treating our skin organ like it's not even there. A lot of us don't even take care of our higher priority organs, hearts, livers. The Egyptians believed in immortality. Death was just a temporary interruption, and their lives would resume. They just had to make sure their bodies didn't decompose too much during the waiting period. You know, they had to travel down this underworld river, go hang out with Osiris for a while, get their heart weighed against a feather, and then they could, you know, go off and live an immortal life with the gods. So they really took care in the preservation of their bodies, even while they were alive. They paid a lot of attention to their cosmetics and their appearance. Well, the ones that could afford to. A lot of uh, ancient Egyptian cosmetic practices were for a triple effect. They were aesthetically beautiful. It usually had some medicinal purpose behind it, even if that medicine was flawed, like the use of coal eyeliner. And lastly, it had a spiritual connotation. For instance, some of the female dancers used to tattoo their thighs because they believed that certain symbols on their legs would prevent venereal disease. Humans have always been obsessed with immortality, but most of the time, societies are not very good at keeping everybody alive for very long. We have the means. There's just too much temptation for junk, and there are economic obstacles. And in modern society, we have too much shaming when it comes to wanting to look good. It's egotistical, it's shallow, but it shouldn't be. Good looks is a sign of good health. Style might be subjective, but our skin health, our hair, our face, and the aging that it shows, it's a reflection of our inner health and our sustainability and our capability. You can see it in someone's face that they might be getting very sick inside their body. Your skin organ is a window. It gets disrupted and gives you signs when there's something wrong inside of your body that you need to take care of or quit doing. Your skin is a messenger. It'll tell you if there's inflammation, allergies, liver problems, any hint of disease present so you can take care of it. Take a look at any wild animal. Are they afraid of looking superficial? What about a stag, a big male deer in the forest? Are stags sitting back eating Cheetos and watching TV and feeling guilty about their looks and letting themselves go? No. Their coats are shiny and beautiful. They show themselves off. Their antlers are big. They keep them ground and sharp. Their eyes are bright, alert. They never look bad, even the old ones with gray in their coats. They're still very handsome and capable and very agile deer. 
They go out every day and forage, get exercise, they climb mountains and find streams, and steal people's vegetables, especially the beans out of my garden. Apparently, they really like beans. Animals don't let themselves go and get unattractive and incapable as quickly as we do. They aren't sitting at the round table figuring out ways to, to shame other deer who are hanging on to their good health and attraction and flirting until the day they die. And that is one of the biggest secrets to youth. Your body decides to start aging faster when it decides you're done with being sensual or reproductive. It says, oh, we're done having babies? Okay, it's time to die. And you start losing your normal hormone activity, displacing fat, getting wrinkled at a faster pace, etc., etc. You don't have to keep sleeping with anybody and actually getting pregnant in order to stay youthful. But you do have to have that feeling that sets off these hormones. There's scientific evidence behind the fact that a person who flirts stays younger. Now, before anybody takes that out of context, give me a minute to explain. The feelings that you feel, secretly or otherwise, when you look at someone that you think is attractive, those internal feelings, those emotions, will trigger your pituitary gland to produce a certain cocktail of hormones that feed your body with youth. So as long as you keep feeling these feelings... You're going to keep rejuvenating your body. It doesn't mean you have to go out and act like a dog in heat. You don't have to act upon these feelings, but allow yourself to feel the feelings because it triggers the hormone production in your body that it wants. It is the elixir of life. And that is a real thing. Look it up. It's the flirty, romantic, crushy feelings that you feel trigger good hormone production in your head. And healthy hormone production is one of the biggest secrets to living healthy and staying young for a long time. I've seen miracles. I've seen people come back from the dead after developing a crush on somebody later on in their life. It's amazing to see one of these people spring back like that. And we shame each other for it. That's ridiculous. And it's not natural. I believe sensuality is the key to a long and healthy life. And sensuality is not the same thing as sexuality. Sensuality is the force, the drive behind the action. You don't always have to act out the action, but you shouldn't let go of the drive, the sensuality, if you want to stay lit. Everything out in nature is getting busy right now, or at least it's trying. And we have the sensibility to be easy and logical about it and still enjoy the sensuality and all of its rewards without going too far or causing trouble. We have brains. We have the ability to become psychologically balanced. It's a very strong force, yes. And it takes some self-discipline to avoid making an idiot out of yourself. But when you can enjoy and allow yourself in a relaxed state, to feel and experience these sensualities of life without being intrusive or disrespectful of somebody else, that is when you can experience more contentment on deeper levels and get the after effects and rewards of youth and longevity. 
But that's an entirely different podcast and probably an entire therapy session, seeing as the world kind of has a problem with self-control these days. Nature provides us with so much stuff, so many materials, medicine, resources, so many things that we can sustain our health with that it's unbelievable. And we might take advantage of maybe 10% of that or less on a daily basis. The systems, medicinal, educational, therapeutic that we've put in place to keep ourselves healthy and vibrant, they're homogenized, they're okay, but they're not good enough. We can be taken advantage of so much more than that. Mullen, one of the most incredible medicinal plants there is. It's medicinal to the planet, too, in areas where the ground has been demolished, desecrated. It's the first thing that will come back to life and populate the ground when there's nothing left. It begins life in areas where there's nothing. It takes over the wastelands. It's highly valuable to humans, animals, and the soil. And so how does this plant just magically appear? Well, mullein seeds will lie dormant underneath the ground for years and years, just sitting there, waiting for the ground to be cleared, and then they'll come up like the resurrection. This is one of my favorite plants. It treats respiratory conditions, and it's really, really effective. And you can use it for a lot more. I like making an alcohol tincture out of it. It's a little stronger. You can use it to open passageways for air. Asthma patients benefit from mullein. When you feel like you're having trouble breathing or too much phlegm in the bronchial system, get some strong mullein tea in you. It's good for so many other things, but that's its main call to fame. Even smokers have, have used it to clear up buildup in the lungs and the throat. And that's one example. That's one weed growing in some abandoned, desecrated space that will keep you breathing. Helichrysum, or immortel, some people call it the curry plant. I read a research study paper at the National Center for Biotechnology Information that determined immortel, or curry, which is different than the spice mix, would extend the lifespan of, of earthworms extend, not make immortal. The fact is, I'm not so sure that we would all really like to be immortal, but there are downright magical elixirs of life out there, and I do know that most of us want prolonged good health in our lives and consistent youth, but everything here is made to live its life and then pass on. The key is to take care of yourself and find a way to be as healthy as you can be, to become as beautiful of a person as you know how, to have as much contentment as you can. And we want to have done most of what we've set out to do by the time it's our turn to go and, and give something else a chance to live. This has been Natural and Wild with me, Christine Grayson. A big thank you to my closest supporters this week, Chris Nolan, Arnold Bloom, Bruce Presson, and Sheila McGregor. And a big, big hug and thank you to those of you who have sent a tip to the virtual tip jar this week. Please don't forget to leave a review and join me again next Friday. Have a safe and happy weekend. Mm-hmm.